Good morning, good afternoon, good night. It's Xavi. If you know me, I'm happy you're here. If you don't, I converted a moving truck into a tiny home amidst the pandemic, gave up my place, and hit the road. Starting in Vancouver, I drove to Miami and realized that there was too much adventure not to share. So to fill you in on my journey, the Play On Foundation presents the Two Degrees Podcast. Why two degrees? Because I'm now a snowbird and escaping two degree weather. I built the truck wrong and the majority of the weight is on the passenger side, so we're tilted at two degrees. But also, I'm going to catch up with industry professionals who I'm glad to call friends and bring you two degrees of separation away from them and what they do. So, welcome to the Two Degrees Podcast, brought to you by the Playon Foundation for Neurological Research and Brain Aneurysm Detection and Prevention. To learn more about the Playon Foundation, check out www.letsplayon.org. But for now, enjoy the show. But first, a quick word. Do you like mangoes? <laughs> of course you do. And if you don't, well, I'm sure there's a high chance you might know someone who does. Well, the Two Degrees Podcast is sponsored by Peeled Fruit. No, not just random fruit that's been peeled, but the children's book about a mother's love language of peeling mango for her baby. Available for delivery on bookbaby.com, bookshop.org, Barnes & Noble, Powell's, and Amazon, just to name a few of the retailers. It even ships worldwide. Check out at Peeled Fruit Book on Instagram for more information on how to get your copy of this heartwarming story. Peeled Fruit, illustrated by Rhoda Domingo. All right, I'm back. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Yeah, have some fun. <clears throat> How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Two Degrees Podcast, brought to you by the Play On Foundation. Today's guest, I had the pleasure of getting in touch with him um, through my publicist at the time and he he did a whole bunch of amazing shots for my portfolio and i've been following him ever since and he's been absolutely killing the game um based out of vancouver but he's been all over the west coast and probably places that i don't even know but everybody we got noah sanyas how you doing buddy hey hey thanks for having me today yeah um but yeah you've been traveling yeah (laughs) driving all (laughs) over the place um trying to explore more of north america like i've always loved traveling but yeah it's it's, um it just became tough over quarantine so i figured this would be the best way to do it so yeah dude if if anything if anything i'm jealous of what you're doing (laughs) um I'm pretty sure, like, if I had half the photography skills that you had, you have, I probably have so many awesome pictures. But other than that, like, I just I'm, have to. I'm sure you have plenty. I have to settle with like Instagram filters and shit. <laughs> hey man, but, uh, at least that works. Yeah, but when you when you just stepped out real quick, um, I was trying to take a look at your shelf behind you. That's a fucking crazy little oh. display you got <laughs> yeah yeah it is it is it's it's my gear um yeah it's all for work so 
different camera, different needs. Something so. to to mention about how you keep things as well. Like for me, the way I keep my camera equipment when I do self tapes is I just shove it in a bag and I I put it underneath the bed. You know, so it's like just seeing the way it's displayed there. Like it's very intentional, and I'm I. I Go into that. Like, what's what's the significance with each particular lens that you have up there? Because I'm sure you also have some stuff that are not up there as well. Yeah. Um, so what I hear is usually just my own work gear. So I, uh, I was saying different shoot, different camera needs. So there are shoots that, <coughs> sorry, there are shoots that requires, um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, with 35 millimeter sensor, for example. But there are also shoots, like especially big commercial jobs that requires a bigger sensor, like medium format camera, like the one in here. I am personally addicted to film cameras. So most that you see, well, are they here? Mm -hmm. uh, they're actually not there. But mm -hmm. most of the cameras, like the two big ones in, in here and then the ones in that part are, are all uh, film cameras. Um, you see my fridge there as well with some film um, in it. Uh, yeah, I've been addicted with film for maybe the last three years and if possible i'd only do film but of course that's not always viable to all clients as the expenses goes up when it comes to film photography um, but yeah that's kind of it's kind of some lenses up there and here uh my philosophy for gear is if you use it a lot buy it and mm -hmm. if you don't use it a lot then just rent it because you it's it's saves you more money that way yeah yeah now what sparked this fascination for film oh i think it was so i kind of had a feel my first film camera was actually this one right there um it was an rz67 pro 2 i had it in 2016 i had it because a friend of mine sold it to me and i didn't really know what the camera is capable of or what why people like that camera <laughs> all i know it was sought after it was sold to me for a good price so i purchased it did some shots with it i really enjoyed it but never thought that i'll use it for work until 20, uh, 2019 i think or 2020 when a friend of mine got me back into film by showing me how to develop film and then pandemic happens so it just kind of works perfectly because i have nothing to do and they didn't want to come out of I, what, what we thought. Uh, I think everybody at the time thought COVID was just going to be here for maybe three months, six the most. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I, my, my philosophy at the time is I didn't want to come out of COVID uh, without learning any new skill. So that's when I think what COVID. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's kind of, what, what is it right now, right? We don't know. Yeah. Fair. Um, <laughs> Yeah, or when it's gonna end? That's my air quote. Um, uh, yeah, we we are selling COVID, but we're not. So I mean, in BC at least, the yeah. the restriction here has been lifted. So we honestly don't know what's happening. I, I don't think anybody knows what's happening. Anyway, uh, going back to film photography, that's what sparks it. Um, it's during that time where I couldn't work or nobody can work. Yeah. And yeah, I just wanted to grow to myself and whatever avenue that might be. And I found film photography and been addicted with that ever since. Do you also have like a, a dark room at your studio as well? Or where do you do your developing? No, uh, so I used to develop my own um, in the bathroom of, my, uh, of, of the studio or at home. But the problem is developing color is, color is really hard. 
Hmm. Uh, so I started sending it to labs. I used to send my roles in a local lab here in Vancouver, but I find that it's, they can't really get the color that I want. Um, as you probably know, I'm very specific with how I shoot and, and especially with the colors and how things are edited. Um, so I found this lab in New York where, where I start sending my film roles. Um, so yeah, so I sent it there, they scan it, they work with me in my process and the color tones that I want. And now they know that how I want my image to be processed and scanned. And yeah, it's just been smooth sailing ever since then. And the price is not that much different compared to yeah. local, um, developers here yeah. before you started sending it off to labs to get developed what were some of the things that you were facing when it came to trying trial and error um with developing or with photography with film photography with the developing part oh okay so just from home so let's start from home i guess and then from the local um stores from home um when it comes to black and white, it's pretty easy. Uh, for me, it's more time-consuming. That's a problem why I'm not developing black and white either. Mm. When it comes to color, it's really hard to do it at home because I can't get the consistency of the temperature. And um, I remember in the beginning, I was wasting maybe like 10, 20 rolls just trying to get the science of it. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I don't have the machines to um, to maintain a certain temperature that's needed. Older friends of mine have created a DIY way to do it, and they seem to be doing pretty well. Hmm. Um, I bought scanners. I went nuts in, in film. I bought my own scanner. I went everything that I need for developing and all like, I stack up my fridge for, for, um, for film. But I, I, again, I couldn't get the right consistency and my scanner is not as good for commercial job. Hmm. Um, and the way I shoot now, my perspective and any shoots that I do is I treat it as if it's a big ad that I'm doing or it's a big campaign that I'm doing. And that's, that's been my approach. So for me, if I do any shoots and then the final image is not as good as what it would be in a commercial job because I develop it at home or a local lab can develop it. Um, and the colors are not right. Then it's, it, it's, it's a waste of money for me. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of like a decision why I went to New York and for local labs here, they're great price wise. Um, locally, the problem is there's one lab, for example, that I used to go to, they always scratch my film. So when I scan it, it show the mark show. So it takes more time for me to edit. Another lab here lost a few of my rolls while, <laughs> while I dropped it off. So that's not good. And then there's one more lab here that I like it, but they just can get the color as good as the one in New York. Um, yeah. So I found them. I know there's probably a bunch of other ones, but I just didn't try it. Were you yeah. all self-taught then in, in terms of figuring out how to go about developing it to your standard or did somebody teach you? So it's, um, film is kind of interesting because my background is more in digital photography, but the, when it comes to colors, it's pretty similar. Hmm. I don't know the, the processing side, the developing side, but I know the scanning side because I've been, I've been scanning my own roles. Um, yeah, I find, I find that digital and, and film are not, when it comes to post-processing, are not that far off um, to get into colors. I'm not particularly sure how the lab in New York that I'm sending it to gets the color that I want, hmm. if I'm being honest. Um, when they send it to me, it's already done. So I, And that's another thing I like about film photography. So there's almost no retouching that's needed. Once you shot it, it's done. Hmm. Um, when I get the files back. So my clients that... that chose to shoot film actually gets more images because I just sent everything to them because I'm pretty confident that those are good images that nothing need to be touching. Yeah. 
So I'm I want to start from from the beginning now of how photography became your art or your passion. Oh, uh, geez, how did it start? So I was an art director for about four years in Asia. I went to um, Vancouver for my sister's wedding. And while I was there, I wanted to stay in Vancouver. And for me to stay, I needed to go to school. Hmm. And at the time, I happened to meet this photographer, awesome photographer that I really look up to, that I'm still friends with. Um, and I asked him if I can shadow him for, for the two weeks left that I have in Vancouver. So he let me shadow him for maybe five days <laughs> and during my time I realized how I can make a living doing photography because in where I'm from Philippines um it's really hard I, I don't know any photographer personally that makes a living doing photography like the only photography that I knew growing up is the people because I grew up in the countryside the people the photographers that come on a wedding they take pictures develop the film later on and then they sell it outside um the wedding the wedding venue and people would just buy it for, I don't know, maybe 25 pesos at the time, which is about a dollar, Canadian, one Canadian dollar. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what the photographer that I grew up with. So the perspective, the perspective of like making a living doing photography was very foreign to me hmm. until um, I met this guy. And then during that time, I met another photographer or, or photography uh, photographer student uh, that was going, going to a certain school. So I asked him about more information about it. And then I went there, checked their demo class, um, and I enrolled, and I got accepted. And then, yeah, the rest is just kind of history. I went fully in that route, um, left my uh, my job in the Philippines as, as an art director. And then it, I want to say it just worked out, but there's definitely a lot of work. But I think I, I want it hard enough for me to really pursue it um, head on without... I guess holding back to it. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no. Um, what were some of the beginning trials? So, to come to Canada and then to invest all of your time and energy specifically into growing a photography business. As like all businesses, there there's there's pros and cons, and there's a lot of hurdles that need to be overcome in order for your business to be fruitful um specifically in photography though what were some of the hiccups or roadblocks that you faced trying to establish yourself uh a big one for me in the beginning is uh, work permit because i'm not canadian hmm. i didn't have the work permit in the first in the early stage of my career until i start working for a fashion brand in Vancouver that kind of got that sponsored and then eventually I got married so there wasn't that, so the work permit wasn't a problem anymore um, aside from that is probably capital like I didn't have when I started my studio I only had about three thousand dollars I think at the time and then with one camera and one lens um, so I didn't know where I'm gonna head do I need to buy lights right away or not I didn't have enough money in my credit in my credit card to put a deposit when I rent so, um, so really capital. So my advice for anyone that wanted to jump into photography is find a day job or at least um, a part-time job or a side hustle. Because in the first maybe two years of your photography journey, you're probably not going to make enough for a living. Um, and then after that, you're probably just make enough, but you have to be really frugal and be strategic in how you spend your money. Like I didn't really go out in Vancouver or party or 
eat out except for lunch. At the time, I was only eating. Um, there's this place where I can get two slices of pizza and a pop for, I believe it was $5, I think. And that was my lunch every single day for at least two years. <coughs> um, now I hate pizza. But yeah, it got me, it got me through. So yeah. if anything, I should thank um, whoever was selling that pizza yeah, at the no. time. But yeah, yeah, I would say be wise in how you spend your money. So yeah. Did you ever have a time where you thought that you bit off something that was too big for you to chew? Oh, all the time. All the time. Uh, I would accept bookings that are way too big for, um, for me, but Could I, you give I but for some reason, what was, what was out of your realm back then? Um, let's, let's go practical. For example, mm. there's this particular brand of light that I think most photographers use and want these days. And at the time I couldn't afford it or I can afford it, but I will, probably won't be able to pay rent. So, so, mm. so anyway, for me, to, I, I still bite the bullet and did it. And then because I was really, so this is one thing that I believe about for anybody. Um, I mean, sorry, I'm going to digress a little bit. I meet a lot of aspiring photographers, for example, or artists per se that wanted to pursue their passion, but they're too afraid to do it mm. because of their steady job, because of the paycheck that they get regularly. Yeah. And I agree to not quit your day job if you can be wise about it. But sometimes there's also some people that I think needs to just do it. Because once you have no other choice, you'll make it work. And that's kind of what happened to me with this lights, for example. I bought it. It was about six grand, I think, at the time. And six or five or six grand. I didn't have much money at the time. But because I was desperate and I need to make it work or else I won't be able to pay my rent or my studio rent, then I got to make it work. And it worked. And then um, aside from that, there are, I can't mention jobs or what it is exactly, but there was a job a few years ago that I was asked if I can do it. And I didn't even know what, uh, how much I should be charging. Mm. Uh, all I know is I can charge a lot. Um, so I gave them the quote. And then luckily enough, my client was kind enough to respond to me saying like, that's too low. Increase, wow. like, you can go higher than that. Yeah, so I was very fortunate to be surrounded by people that are like that. So I did increase my price to what, what it's supposed to be. Um, it was during the pandemic where I couldn't bring any assistant, but I still said yes to it. But I knew that that project is going to be hard hmm. because it's a, it's a multi-light setup. I didn't have enough lighting at the time. And again, it was during the pandemic. There wasn't The rental store cannot keep up with the equipment that I needed. Um but yeah, but I made it work. I borrowed a few lights from friends. Uh, I purchased a few lights from Craigslist and Marketplace and it worked out. And then ever since then, maybe, um, yeah, but if I said no to it, if I said um, that it was too big for me, then I definitely wouldn't have gotten that chance. And I'm pretty sure I would still not be shooting for them. Wow. Well, congrats with that. Like, that's a big thing too when it comes to the art of it where it's like you gotta just take chances um, yeah everything about being an artist is about chances and oh man my, yeah my quest, absolutely my hope and my desire in talking with like all the artists that i bring on here is to figure out some kind of formula like there has to be something that even though luck is still involved that it wouldn't include that much luck yeah where, something that can be replicated yeah right where it's like 
more more like a going to school and and getting your degree and and having a step by step process to get you know climb the workforce ladder if you will where it's like what does the artist ladder look like how does that work out huh. but then it's yeah. just it's just all luck man <laughs> you just got to be willing to climb the ladder and hopefully the step that you're going to go on to next is the step that you're looking for and there's no there's no yeah. levels there's no street signs there's there's nothing it's just all luck but you just yeah. got to climb the ladder <laughs> That's one thing that I did that I always had, um, looking back now, I think this helped a lot and like whoever's listening, I hope this helps as well. Um, there was a time when I was really new in photography and was just starting out my business. I was coming as an immigrant and didn't have any contact, uh, contacts in Vancouver. So I didn't know who, who to reach out to, what brands are, are in town and who's who. But what I did is every week I would meet two new people that I haven't met before, or maybe have just chatted by passing, or maybe we're in the same job, but we didn't really get to know each other. Hmm. So every week I made sure to meet two people. I would contact them through LinkedIn, um, Instagram, Facebook, whatever medium that might be. And usually when I meet with them, we don't talk about business. We just talk about life in general, what they do, but it normally goes through I think naturally it would just flow through work because of the question, what do you do? What, what's keeping you busy? What are the projects you're working on at the moment? So it naturally goes there. And then through that, I actually met a lot of um, interesting people and, and um, people that I still work with up till, up till today. Some of, some of them are my clients. Some of them have referred me to a different, uh, to another client. Some of them are people that um, helped me on shoots, my assistants, for example. Uh, and this is something that I still do, although I don't do the two, um, two, two new people per week anymore. Um, I would probably do at least one a month that I would meet. Um, it's, I think it's just a healthy practice as well and it gives you a perspective on how other people's lives are. I think sometimes we can be jaded into um, our lifestyle and think that that's the only thing that's, that there is in the world um, and meeting a different people with different walks of life as well. I think it could be really helpful. Um, but yeah, that, that might be one of the formula is just hmm. meeting new people every every so often where did you learn that did you hear that from somebody go out and meet new people or did you just come up with this on your own i i just did it my own um hmm. one thing as well that's a common mistake with, with a lot of i think artists and and people in general is when we do our network i i hate the term network but when we hmm. do our networking people always ask for a favor i think networking is is offering help more than asking for help hmm. um I, I i don't i it's very rare not i and maybe it's my ego but it's very rare for me to ask for a favor unless i really need to but yeah. but i always tell to people whatever you need let me know if i can help with anything and i and, and they mean it by heart when i when i offer it um yeah, this is principle that I read. I forgot what book it is. It's, it's called Two Job in a Punch. So you, you do two things for, uh, for, for others, and then you ask one after in return. And it sounds, it sounds very <coughs> manipulative, but um, if you look at the terms of like helping instead of receiving, a lot of the people that I've become close with are people that help me. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe I'm biased that way, I, at least from my perspective, I saw that they cared. Um, 
And my policy for, for people that I hire in a job, for example, is I'd rather hire someone that, um, that I like more than someone who's very talented, but I don't like and set. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that goes to saying and why that mentality for networking works better than um, the old school way of giving your business card and being like, hey, let's work together. It's like, yeah. but why are we going to work together? Yeah, so, establishing yeah. yourself as useful for sure. No, yeah, I, I, that was that was very eloquently put. No, I, I like that. And moving forward, like I'm gonna carry that. Where it's like, favors are meant to be given, not asked. Hmm. Yeah. No, I really like that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Um. No. So you mentioned. By the way, sorry, we're we're in Canada. Are you right now? Where oh, are you? We're in Canada. Are you at the moment? I'm I'm in San Francisco right now. Oh what? Yeah, dude. So um. So one thing about Jealous. this podcast um, with the title of it, Two Degrees. Um, so I built the truck wrong where I put a lot of the weight on the passenger side. So the truck's tilted at two degrees, but at the same time, I'm also escaping the two degree weather that's at home. <laughs> so that's, that's the big thing. I this is like I, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not coming back until it warms up. <laughs> so um hopefully <laughs> hopefully like the end of next month um but other than that i'm i'm just kind of enjoying the sun and enjoying the <laughs> keeping my tan oh dude i don't uh, want to lose my tan 100 percent. yeah <laughs> and um, I, I bet you tan fast as well yeah oh man yeah it's, it's uh, Fil- filipino skin, skin bro yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, dude, I'm, I'm i'm blessed with this um yeah. but speaking of the philippines you brought up a point where it's like you didn't really see photography as being like a day job as, as worthy of, of, you know, making a living off of um, what was it then coming to Canada that kind of gave you that push to say, yeah, this, this might actually be worth investing all of my time into. Um, I don't know what it, what it is about Canada. I think for me, it's, if I like, and this is just my personality. If I like something, I like it bad, and I'm gonna do everything in my power to get it. Uh, and it, it sometimes it, it's to my own detriment because it's something that I sh- that it's not working, but I try to keep making it work. And I'm I'm very stubborn that way. It's hard to make me quit what I wanted. Uh, yeah, so I think that's if you were still of- in the Philippines, then would you have still tried to pursue photography? Probably not. Um, I, so one thing about me as an artist is I'm very practical. I, 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 how would I say it without sounding arrogant? I think I'm pretty business savvy as, as an artist. Like I, I just, I was talking to some, uh, to another photographer friend just a few hours ago and I was telling her, um, this person that there's kind of like two paths being a photographer. One is you take the route that is focused on your style. Um, that you keep shooting your style until a client or a potential brand sees you and then hire you for that style. There's also the other route, which I did, which was what I call a sellout, which just doesn't sound good, but that's honestly what I did. Mm. I, I shot what I know the client wants and then look. So every, and this is one of the reasons why my work is very diverse, which is also to my own detriment now because I want to specialize in something, but then I've seen as this chameleon who can shoot everything. While it works for other um, client, it doesn't work for the, the high-end clientele that I want. 
<laughs> but yeah. So I forgot what I was saying. But anyway, uh, oh, being business savvy that way. So for me, I targeted what I look at. What's the landscape of the uh, of of the industry that I'm around? How do I get those clients? What are the style photography wise that works with this um, with this particular demographic? Um, and then where is this demographic hanging out? Where can I find them? This there's a marketing term that we use um, back in advertising. I'm pretty sure they still use this in, in, in marketing these days. It's called customer journey map. So customer journey map is understanding your customer from, from and what they think from the very beginning, from the process of why are they looking, why are they looking for your service? Where do they go when they're looking for your service? What do they feel when they have your service? And then what do they do after they purchase your service? Um, so all of that. So for example, for headshots, headshot is a different approach compared to what I do now, which is a gallery shoot. It's a gallery shoot is a different approach when it comes to spec shoots, like the shoot that we did. Those are different marketing types. But, but the difficulty for doing that as a photographer is you want to be identified as, as, as um, um, for a particular niche. But also keep in mind that for photographers, at least, you don't have to upload all the work that you're doing. Like, you probably, I don't know if you noticed in my Instagram, like I've deleted my, my images multiple times because I would, yeah. I, I like my work. And then after a word, it's like, oh, I actually don't like, don't want to attract this client anymore. So I would wipe it down and then start again. Uh, and, and I probably would keep doing this until I get tired of doing it. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah. So then... Yeah, you you kind of phrase it in a sense where this whole like it's a detriment to shoot for the client versus to shoot for yourself. But you still sound as if you know you also still want to shoot in the style that you want to do. So what's hindering that now that you yeah. started shooting for the client? Oh man, that's a good question. So when you, in the past, when I shoot for a client, it's the client that dictates what the look would be. Okay. And this is something that I changed. And I, and I think I'm able to change it now because I hopefully gained the respect of the industry already as an artist. So now when a client comes to me, I ask them like, where is, for example, the shoot that we did, I, I would ask them now, where is the image going to go? And would you be open to me creating the mood board instead of publicist or the artist creating the mood board? And in that way, I can cater it more. For example, someone says that it's going to, let's say, Sean Magazine or Vogue or whatever that might be. My answer would be like, can I create a mood board that it goes with the style that they want? Hmm. But the style that they want, what it actually means is the style that I want, the style that I want to be pursuing. And I think talking about style, like style is the hardest thing for any artist to know what it is because some people might see what your style is, but you, it's always hard to see what, at least for me, what my style is. People would say like, oh, I can tell if it's your work. Hmm. And it's like, I can't. I can. Um, and for example, in photography, there's this like a uh, few, I think it's four qualities of style, but I, I can't remember what those four are. But one is, it's in studio or outside. I like to shoot both. Um, I don't like to be boxed in and just shooting studio, for example. But when you go to a higher caliber client, for example, if you want to shoot for Gucci, you're, you're only seen as one or the other. But how do you position yourself now as both? And I think 
Sorry, man. I'm talking about all about photography. I'm obsessed with no, no, photography. This is, this is uh, clearly, it's about this is this is amazing. Keep going, please. Yeah. So in um, what I was talking, um, oh crap, I completely lost it. Anyway, in in in, in, in style, and being an indoor outdoor. Oh yeah, 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 that's right. So I think, and this is just my opinion, there's a new wave of um of photographers that are coming, that. It's not restricted by certain parameters, like are you an indoor or an outdoor photographer? Hmm. I kind of been seeing a few uh, really famous photographers already that are doing this. They can be outdoor, they can be indoor, where the style translates more than the technical aspect. It's the mood, it's how they see the story, it's how they see um, the world and how they photograph it. It's what they imagine that other people don't see, I think. Um, and that can translate in a lot of different things beyond the technical aspect. Is it studio? Is it the lighting? Is it the storytelling? Um, but yeah, beyond that, one of the photographers that I've really been um, in love with his work, <coughs> there's two of them. One is Greg Williams, for example, whose work is kind of all over the place as well. He does set stills. He does events. Um, like he's the one who shoots for Oscars, for example. <coughs> but then he also do portrait studios. And he also do gallery and then campaign for Rolex, for example. The other, um, another photographer that I really like is um, Blackland Bailey, for example. Um, he does it all. He does studio, he does location, he does shoot where it's just him and the model. Um, another big one is Peter Lindbergh, although Peter Lindbergh has a very particular style because of his black and white work. But his work is not just black and white. He did a lot of shoots that are colored, um, but his approach and what attracts him in the certain shots. A friend of mine, um, and I were chatting in 2020 about this because um, I used to take a lot of photos. In one session, I probably have, on a four-hour shoot, I probably have 1,000 to 2,000 shots, and that changed as I mature in photography. <clears throat> um, but at the time, I was chatting to a friend of mine, and he said, like, it's not the number of shots that we take. It's, it's, our, it's our eye for picking which ones are good ones. And I was like, that's actually really, I never heard that before, but like what, like, because you and I, for example, I might pick one shot that I like, but you might pick the other. Yeah. Um, and then the reason, the why behind it is might be very different, but, but the re, but the why behind it is what makes us the artist. And I think that's what the new wave of photogra photographers that are coming. It's, it's, we're not, anyway, we're not boxed into certain classifications anymore. Um, mm -hmm. I think we are beyond that now, but that's just my assumption. So, no, art directors and photo editors may not see it the same, but yeah. Yeah, no, like art is subjective. So even if you have like an art director who has a very strict mindset of what it should be, art the following week can completely change. And it's either, it's up to him to either him or her to keep up or to, you know, double down on what yeah. they believe art is. Yeah. So I'm curious then where with, the shoot that you did with me, was that your mood board then? No, it wasn't. So I'm curious then, what would you have wanted to do? Or what, what uh, vision would you have wanted? Yeah, I think at the time I was very new in photography, um, but I, I was really happy with it. But if, if we were to do it again, I think I would have done it with a lot smaller team and a, and a lot more intimate. I. What, attract, what attracts me to photography right now is the honest part of photography where you're actually photographing the person 
and the photographer is more of a participant than an observer. So the problem with studio, and I, this can be done in studio as well or outside, <clears throat> but one of the things that studio does, as much as I love it, and man, I'm hurting my own business by saying this because I'm known as a studio photographer. Uh, the problem sometimes with studio is you are in this, you can't really move freely because of this hair, there's a glam thing, this hair, this makeup, this stylist, you have to be a certain way for the certain look. Mm-hmm. And that works with some jobs, especially for editorials and campaigns. But I love this idea of an honest photography where may, maybe this, in a perfect world, this is how I would like it to go. <clears throat> we have a glam team. We go for a walk, for example, and I photograph it as we hang out. My dream client is something that I would shoot 24 hours and then just see what we can come up with. Um, and I know not everybody's down for that. And it's a little crazy as well for me to do, but that's my dream job. Like hang out with this person, take some snaps. Um, I actually have this client that I'm really excited about that's happening on June. Um, it's, a, it's, it's for their wedding. And my wife's kind of laughing at this because I haven't shot. I don't, I hate wedding. I, hate, I just hate shooting it. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it maybe three times and it's not for me. I admire photographers that can do it. Yeah. But this client um, phoned me. Um, he's an art director. I was like, hey, you know, I like this is so and so. I would like to hire you for my wedding. And my response was like, Have you seen my work? Like this, like there's no events in there. And then anyway, he said, Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm very familiar with your work, but I want you to do this because you're able to capture the essence of a person. Okay. Hmm. Um, and I said, Okay. And then like, let, let's keep chatting. They said, like, all I want is for you to follow me and my fiance during the whole day. <clears throat> You're only focused on us. You're not, um, there's other photographers that are going to worry about the, the formalities of a photo shoot. <clears throat> but you're only focused on us. And as long as I can just get three images from you that I can print, I'm happy. Wow. Um, and as, yeah, and he wants that to be what I was saying, um, kind of like a slice of life or an honest photography it's that moment for example where there's all this crowd in the reception for example and this is just i'm just making things up and then you see the bride sitting on the floor um so behind all this um behind all this chaos that was happening there's that serenity in, in it yeah so kind of capturing that or the moment where let's say after their wedding as they go home we stop by mcdonald's and they're having a burger and fries at the side with their tuxedo and the wedding dress. I think that is something that's really beautiful. Um, Or me, for example, giving a high five to the the bride and groom and they're participating um, in the shot or uh, anything that they were engaging more with me. So instead of me becoming someone who's just, uh, for lack of a better word, um, stealing or capturing the moment, I'm there as as a part of that. And I think um, it's funny because I asked talked to you about this. This is I chatted with this for this wedding last Saturday, and today I was meeting with a big brand to hopefully shoot their campaign. And then he was saying the same thing to me, like I want an, an, an honest approach to photography, but this is a fashion brand, so it's like, oh my gosh, like this mm. is great. So we're not we're not only saying the clothes now, we're selling the experience of what it's like to live in this lifestyle, for example. Um, and it's one of the reasons why this this ad um, from All Saints that I really like that came out in 2019 or 2018, where the story of the ad is this 
group of young um, people were going on a road trip and um, they were kind of like young and free. And uh, for example, there was a shot where the girl was putting her head out of the car and the wind was just blowing her hair. Um, they're not focused on the clothes, but they're focused on that moment. And yes, it wasn't real, but it was, well, you can argue that it's real. I would say it's real. Yeah. It was created, um, but it was real yeah. to capture that shot. Um, anyway, yeah, I can talk on and on and on and on about that. And we'll be right back after this short message. But in the meantime, don't forget to connect with us on our Instagram, at PlayOn2013, and tell us what you think about the show. Do you like mangoes? <laughs> of course you do. And if you don't, well, I'm sure there's a high chance you might know someone who does. Well, the Two Degrees podcast is sponsored by Peeled Fruit. No, not just random fruit that's been peeled, but the children's book about a mother's love language of peeling mango for her baby. Available for delivery on bookbaby.com, bookshop.org, Barnes & Noble, Powell's, and Amazon, just to name a few of the retailers. It even ships worldwide. Check out at Peeled Fruit Book on Instagram for more information on how to get your copy of this heartwarming story. Peeled Fruit. Illustrated by Rhoda Domingo. Now, back to the show. And this is, is something as well that, that I'm still that practicing. Coin, so. Is that a term that you coined then? Honest photography? Is that, or is that a phrase um, that's already in the industry? I, I personally think I just, uh, it's funny because uh, just the conversation that I'm having in the last few days, I haven't heard anyone say it. Um, so I, yeah. maybe it's my own term. Yeah, I, I my actual name for it is it's it's a slice of life hmm. it's a part of um yeah i don't know what i would call it but an honest because an honest photography can be a lot of things but a slice yeah. of life i think is that is that memory that you have that everybody can relate to for example um i like to use this in a shoot i always uh, i am to the talent imagine you are sitting in the back seat of the car and you have this funny cute memory of someone you love Mm -hmm. It just kind of makes you smile a little bit. Like if you see that in, for example, a shot of that in, in video, you know what that felt like. Yeah. Um, yeah, so things like that. And you, it's either you, you feel like you are a participant in a way because you were watching, but the person is okay with you watching mm -hmm. um, while it's happening. But yeah. Anyway. I like that, man. I'm, 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 a, I'm a fan of that. So then would you say then that is or that is your hope to be your style so like how you're saying how um when people come up to you and say that they oh they recognize that it's your work but you don't get it because you're shooting for the client and not really for yourself is the honest photography or the slice of life then what you hope to be noticed for in the future um I, I honestly still don't know. So hmm. recently I just found out what my style is and I'm, and I'm going to digress to this one so I can answer what your question is. Um, since December, I've been kind of like panicking because it's all this style. It's like, oh, like, holy crap, what is my style? And until recently when my wife and I were sitting at home and I was kind of depressed because I couldn't figure out what my style is and everybody's telling me what to do. <laughs> and then I was looking at this images that I collected that I love. Uh, and my wife knows my love for the Renaissance paintings, portraits, and 
a Greek sculpture. And then while I was looking at these images, my wife said, like, that's your style. I've always loved the Renaissance painting and, and um, sculpture. And you can see it in both my paid work that I don't like and my personal project. And I was like, oh. So, so the part of the honest photography that ties with it, with it is, at least this is what I've uh, heard from people um, at least that hired me for portraits, is it's because I was able to capture the essence of that person in that one frame. So that kind of translates to the honest photography that I was saying, because it was them, even though they were wearing something that they probably would not be wearing normally, it's still them that I captured. Yeah. Um, a, a, great, a really great photographer example for this one is Anna Libowitz. Anna Libowitz puts her subject in a very fantasy-like setup with wardrobe and hair and makeup. But when she photographs Oprah, Oprah, for example, you can tell that it's Oprah. Oprah's not pretending to be someone else. Mm. Um, she's photographing Oprah in a different setup. And this is something that I didn't realize until a photographer mentor of mine um, told me about this. Um, yeah, and I think from there it becomes a lot more clear. But right now where I am at, to answer your question directly, is yes, I'm hoping to be known more for for that honest photography, the person who was able to capture the essence of the person, whether that is um, created or in, in their natural state. Mm. No, that makes sense. Yeah. That's beautiful too, because, and even when it comes to headshots, especially, where I think that's one thing that I've learn to look for when seeking out a headshot photographer is like how how do they take their pictures what's what's their process of it and because a lot of headshot photographers they just they just try to get what they imagine in their frame versus I've worked with headshot photographers who who direct me in a way that captures me in a particular moment where it's like yeah. as as simple as okay um, your novice headshot photographer would be like, okay, look professional. But then you'd have your other headshot photographers like, all right, so you're in a meeting, you're about to close a deal. This is the yeah. price point that you're going to secure. But then at the same time, you want to tell this person with your eyes that you deserve more. And it's like, whoa, okay. Yeah. That's, and so it, it just makes you explore more of a situation, but then as well as now you're thinking yeah. and you're outside of your head and now you're bringing yourself into it. So yeah, capturing mm -hmm. the essence. I love that. And yeah, I think that's very important when you're photographing actors. Uh, in my experience, I get photographed a lot of actors from like Jamie Dornan, for example, um, to someone who's really new in the industry. And I've, I've, one of the tricks that I always pull under my sleeves is creating situations to put them in. And a lot of my jobs now, I probably have like, I'm lucky to have 15 minutes or 10 minutes with the talent. Um, for the most part, they're probably there for five minutes max and then they're gone. Okay. So how do you, how before my, and I still love this. I love it when there's a lot of time because I have a lot of time to create my rapport and relationship with the talent. But unfortunately, these days we don't have that luxury anymore, especially with the pandemic happening. So now how do you create that moment of photographing somebody and making them comfortable or look comfortable even if they don't know you 
and my trick has always been put them in give their actors they are actors they can act give them what they're used to make us act um, <laughs> yes <laughs> make yeah, them make make you actors work right so. <laughs> um so now going going back 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 where your art director days what got you yeah. into that position did you go to school for it why did you go to school for what you went to school for and what was it like in the household where it's like was art encouraged oh man that's a funny um way how i led there so in my household um as asian filipino islander most of my most of my family are in the medical field but i was always been uh, they've encouraged me to go into arts oh or business yeah it's it's i think the i think the reason dude i think the reason for it is when i was in high school i was failing science and i went to special science high Mm. Uh, so i was i was pretty good at chemistry i was bad at physics for example or biology or anatomy i faint on blood i still do freaks me out um oh man one time i was shooting a little digress um for this is a long time ago i was shooting for a, uh, for a makeup school here and i didn't i didn't know they were doing cosmetics wow. and then when the model came it was bloody and it looks real and i <laughs> kid you not i threw up um and I, was, I asked me i said hey can you shoot it for me i can't do it anyway wow. we, moving forward to the question so I, it wasn't encouraged, but it wasn't, it wasn't also discouraged. I think if I were to lean between the two, I would go more in the encouraged part. Mm-hmm. But the funny part is when I, I went to University of Korea, so I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts major in advertising degree. When I, so, man, I wasn't the smartest kid growing up. So my dad and my eldest sister prescribed that I go take this exam for university. So I took it. I fortunately passed. And two weeks, in, um, so at the beginning of the, the, of the school, after two weeks of being in the school, I asked our professors, like, how come we keep buying, like, pencils and papers, um, basically art supplies? And then the instructor kind of looked puzzled at me. And then I realized that what it, it was advertising. It was fine arts advertising, not business advertising. Because in my head, I was doing business advertising. Anyway, in Philippines, it's a it's kind of looked down upon if you quit or if you do a gap year because then you're old and then you're not finished school yet. So I just keep pushing through with it. Um, eventually, I got decent with it. And then I actually, I can draw, but I'm not good at drawing. Hmm. Um, so first year, first year, second year was very traditional art where we do oil painting and all. We didn't really excel in it, but I didn't want to quit. Um, when I get to third year, it's more about marketing and then the digital side of it and then same thing with fourth year. And that's when I really found my passion that I realized that I was pretty good at branding and marketing. And then after that, I was mentored by one of what we call the pillars of um, advertising in Philippines. And he kind of put me, connected me with the right people. And I started working for major agencies, um, not just in Asia, they're, they're international agencies. And then, yeah, I didn't, I think it just, kind of snowballed from from there but to answer the question is i didn't know what i was doing i just didn't want to quit again going back to i'm stubborn when i say i like something i would keep doing it until i guess it's the end of 
I reached the wall, but I'm pretty sure I reached a lot of wall and I just keep going. Um, That's fascinating. Now, yeah. Because like, because you brought up over the quarantine, you trying to find your style, you found yourself in a depression where I find when you're pursuing something that you don't really feel passionate about, but you just keep going. I feel there's a level of depression that also can come up from that. Where was your head at at those times? Do you think that if you could have still kept it up up till today, do you think that you would have ended up needing therapy by now? Where was your head at back then yeah. while you're drilling yourself to just keep going forward, but in a direction that you really didn't yeah. want to be in? Well, um, the thing about me is my emotion changed. Like today, for example, right now, for example, I'm very happy. After this call, I might be very sad. Like it changed <laughs> very drastic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. <laughs> um, if, you, if you see my Instagram disappear and all my social media, I'm definitely depressed. My fault. Um, but yeah, so. Fucked you up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it definitely, like my, so. Knowing that, it changed a lot, and how I feel is very—I'm um, a very emotional human being. So, um, wait, what was the question again? I completely forgot. Where, where is my head at? Back then, yeah. Um, I think for me, I would have kept going. Um, whatever happened, because the, the problem is not the business. The business part is great. Hmm. Like everything was flowing, money was great. I have time freedom and financial freedom, which I never thought I would achieve in this age. But the satisfaction wasn't there. Uh, it just becomes like, okay, like now that I'm making this, like, who am I as an artist? Like, I could die right now and and not make an impact, for example. Or no one would ever talk to me, uh, talk about me when I pass away. Not just as an artist, but also as a human being. So that kind of I think got a lot to me. Like one of my fears um, growing up is I don't I don't want to die. And then I, when I die, no one goes to my funeral because it means I haven't impacted anybody. Yeah. Um, and I took that in everything I do. As a human being, for example, that's why it's so, it's so important for us to know other people's journey and being, and being able to meet people from different walks of life because you develop empathy and understanding to why they are the way they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same thing with photography, for example. If it, business is just good, but there's no image of mine that I took that, other aspiring photography photographers would talk about or people would be inspired about this photo and they want to recreate it then it's kind of no point of being a photographer if that makes sense um so yeah so that's what i was afraid of i was afraid that yes i'm good at this thing but that's it that there's no impact to anybody um and that again that is such an important part of my life so and that's the reason why i got depressed for it but i'm pretty sure that i would have just kept going um there's no reason for me to stop um if anything i was thinking of maybe switching careers uh and it's like like yes i uh, i was at the point it's like oh maybe maybe this is it for photography maybe it's time to explore something new again um and what that is i don't know like i was thinking like oh maybe i don't know maybe i'll i always wanted to have my own clothing line so maybe i'll pursue that hmm. um yeah um maybe i'll go back to advertising i don't know but i think at the time, I was thinking more of like maybe I'll become a director or a DP. I, I don't know. Yeah. So, but yeah. Do you do you still carry that weight of um, that fear of 
if I die, nobody's going to be at my funeral? Um, not so much that nobody's going to be at my funeral, but I think now it's more like what legacy would I leave when I pass away? Hmm. Fair. And what's your, uh, your parents' take on, on this day job that you have now? Oh, they've always been very, my parents, you said, right? Yeah. yeah they've always been very supportive with it. Um, I remember when, when I told my dad, like, hey, I think I'm going to quit my job and pursue photography in Canada. Um, the first thing he asked is, how can I help you? Wow. Yeah. And then he, he said, like, yeah. science. <laughs> All right. <laughs> He's, uh, one thing he told me is, if I do it, I should do it right. Hmm. So, yeah. So, I definitely, I, I wouldn't definitely aside from them giving birth to me, my parents, I definitely wouldn't be where I am without, without the support. Um, they, especially the first, like coming from Philippines, I remember when they went here, the, the Philippine peso is so bad. It's like 57 pesos to $1. Now it's about 30 pesos to $1. So I, I was so broke. Yeah. Uh, and they helped me out through, um, uh, through transitioning to come here. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And are you the first professional artist in your family then? In my immediate family, yes. Mm-hmm. And my, apparently my grandpa's brother was also a photographer. Well, he was not as a profession, but he, he did photography. Yeah. Um, he's the only one in, our, in my lineage, I think, that has a camera. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. dude, I didn't have a camera until I was 21, I think. Yeah. 18 or 21, something like that. It's my first time I ever hold a camera. Um, yeah, I never had it before. Because, I mean, coming from Philippines, like, film is just too expensive at the time. And having a camera is more of a luxury. Like, growing up, I didn't have a lot of pictures. I remember I, I, I was the only one in my siblings that didn't have a picture um, on the day that I was born. Wow. Uh, yeah. And I, I, that's I, so my sisters, oh, that's, that's the start of an autobiography oh, for you right there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> My, my sisters always make fun of me that I, yeah they always make fun of me that i was um that, that my parents just found me from the ditch and adopted me i uh, guess there wasn't any pictures man and i i a part of me believed that when i was growing up it's like oh it's probably true but. have you then just because of the the topic of that where it's like have you because i know a whole bunch of photographers as well where they also offer services for I don't know what you call them, but when you like take pictures or have like a complete photo shoot for a baby, have you? The newborn? Have you, yeah, where it's like the baby's not even a week old, but then they already have a full yeah. photo shoot happening. So it's like, have you? Oh, bro, yeah. Have you started exploring that? Where it's like this is actually a trauma inside you, where it's like I just want to <laughs> take pictures of babies now because I don't I have a baby picture. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, no, dude, I'm afraid of babies, man. Like, I don't know how to handle them. Like, so I'm so afraid that they're so fragile that I would, I would break their arms or, or whatever. So yeah, nah, I wouldn't, I, dude, I wouldn't touch a newborn. Yeah, I, I, or, or would tell anybody to trust me with a newborn. Just what do, keep, I, what do I do with the, this? Keep the parent there and just like let them maneuver the baby into, and you just, you just. Take the pictures. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated. I actually have a one book here, my first ever photo book. It's just so funny. It's um, by Anna Giddens, which is a collection of baby photos. He's a, it's a newborn photographer. Hmm. Amazing work. Um, it's just funny that 
now they're realizing that, oh yeah, I didn't have a baby photo. And the first photo book that I ever purchased was baby, it was newborn photography. That's, um, you need therapy. You need to, <laughs> you need to. I do, I do, I do. <laughs> if you know anyone that's good, let me know, please. So somebody I'll go. That, somebody that specializes in, in not having baby pictures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man. So oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. with that, where it's like, one big thing too when it i've because i tried to dabble in photography as well back in the day and then with that i kind of like leaned more into videography and then through videography i started meeting actors and then that's how i kind of also pushed into that direction but then the thing that i hated about photography and what i hate about what i hated about videography as well and, and where now i'm happy to be at a point that I know, you know, DPs who understand lighting and stuff like that. How did you develop your eye for lighting? Ooh, good question. Um, Aesthetic-wise, without the, the technical aspect, I think it helped coming from a fine art background. Because um, when the reason, the very reason why I get accepted into a fine art school without me knowing how to draw is because they lost my drawing on my entrance exam no dude yes it was pure luck and then and this is known this, like they told me about it um and the funny part is what, on what my was the drawing then what did you sorry, have, what did you submit this there's i remember there's an iq test and all that so i did that and then at the end is draw a mascot of a brand and I was like, holy crap, like I didn't know what to do. So what I draw is sardines. Like, let's draw a can with arms. And that's it. Like super lame. And then I saw my, after that, I saw my, um, when we got in there on the first day, then they gave it back. I saw my classmates work and I thought, man, like I'm definitely the weakest link here. Anyway, on my graduation, they eventually they found it, but they never told me. On my graduation, they put my drawing inside my diploma. So when I got my diploma, I was like, like what the heck is this paper? So I uh, give it two seconds and my computer is shutting down. No, oh, there it is. <laughs> Panic attack. Anyway, on my graduation, on my graduation, they slip it inside my diploma. And so when I found it, I was just laughing at it. Um, but what was the question again? Did they, uh, what, did they tell, this was, the question was about lighting. So, but did, uh, oh, yes, that's did, right. did they tell you though, that where it's like, this drawing was so bad. If we actually got it, we would not have accepted you. Uh, no, they didn't. But it was given. Okay. When That's I so when I saw it, it, it looks like my drawing when I was in elementary school. Maybe you like, just it was, did so well on the IQ part. Um, maybe. I, I mean, I, I doubt it. So, <laughs> if anything, maybe they lost my IQ uh, my IQ test as well. Um. Yeah, and they just never said anything because they legally can't decline me for their own fault. I just had a thought where it's like, maybe you were just there. You weren't actually a student, but because you were offering favors to do like, oh, I'll, I'll clean up after the class. And then they were just like, let's just keep him here. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. From, from there, it's snowball. Yeah, that's right. Like, that's right. He's, he's been here the whole year. We might as well just take him on. As a yeah, we might as well give him a diploma after <laughs> But yeah, yeah, back to maybe, lighting. How did, maybe. how did you develop your eye for lighting? Yeah. So um, 
so I never got good at drawing, but I was good at shading and coloring. Hmm. And when you're shading and coloring, you do you you learn where the light is coming from, um, especially shading. It's all light, lights and shadows, right? So I think that helped me a lot. And then when I transitioned, when I went to photography school here, I already know that well in my head, I wanted to pursue fashion photography and portrait. Um, and I think I just understand principles of lighting, for example, um, distance, size, power, um, relativity to, to the subject as well. I think I just understood that because, uh, or uh, understood it faster, I guess, than anyone else in the class. Um, but I did a lot of trial and error. Like I, I remember um, when I was new, I would maybe shoot 30 models in the weekend. Um, wow. And I would just practice. Yeah, I would just keep practicing lighting. And I become so I'm I'm still so obsessed with it that um, I actually developed this new lighting technique that I think no one has done yet, or maybe someone else in the world has done it, but I haven't seen anyone done it yet. Where in in one second my camera would be in burst mode, so it can take let's say twenty images, but twenty images with different lighting. So you won't even if there's a fan going, you won't even see the hair move, but it's completely different lighting um, for every frame that was taken. Um, this is how. Yeah, this is how nerdy I am on photography. And like, this is something that I haven't uh, fully advertised yet. Mm -hmm. I posted a few in my Instagram about it. Um, I did one big uh, commercial shoot, no, editorial shoot in summer last year when I did this. And the art director's mind just exploded. We had a lot of challenges in our shoot. Number one, uh, in the beginning, it has to be three base or three station. Mm -hmm. And then it got cut down because of the space. We don't have three station anymore. So we only have one. And I only found out two days before the shoot. So I said, okay, no problem. We can still do it. Uh, so we packed, I think we put like 20, 128 lights in it. Um, and when I click it, you, you just see the light rotate. And then wow. the art director saw it. And I was like, like how, I, how are you doing that? Um, of course, I want to tell him how I'm doing it. Yeah. No one has done it yet. So. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and then um, I think that's one of the reasons why this particular company keeps hiring me because it's something that no one else, or at least they haven't seen anyone else done it. Mm. Um, maybe I should turn it into an NFT. Now I'm getting some ideas. Um, <laughs> yeah, because there was a trick before where we called, um, what's the name of it? The Moving Pictures, uh, Cinemagraph, yeah. where the hair, for example, is moving but the lighting is the same or the background is moving or like when you're pouring water and anyway, this is different. This is nothing else is moving, but the light, light. post-production wise as well. They can, for example, my one light is just this side. My other light is just the back and I have one light in here and it's all different shot post-production wise as well. They can combine mm -hmm. all three and create a well-lit image. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, the possibility is endless. So. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting too. Cause it's like, what I'm thinking in my mind is when the matrix came up with their rotating one, but then it's like your, yeah. your way is the camera stays. And then it's like the light does a, that's fascinating. That's really yeah. cool. Cause um, yeah. So with that now where it's just like, I guess, I guess you, you kind of explained it where it's like you, you see different possibilities of like creating an NFT or whatever, but it's like, how do you then as an, as an artist, as a photographer kind of coin that? Because you said you haven't seen it done before. So then how, how do you go about 
establishing that this is a Noah thing? Oh man, honestly, I don't know the answer to that. Even marketing this is quite hard to convince client to do it yeah. um, because of the cost that comes with it. Uh, like this particular shoot, the equipment cost itself, it's about 20 grand per day. Um, we did it over, we did it, uh, oh no, this, the shoot is only one day. So it's, it's quite hard to market this because of the cost, because people don't understand how it works. Um, and it requires a lot of big space. But when done right, when, all, when there's a budget, the client understands what, it, what the potential for them is. Yeah. Then it becomes a really valuable um, asset to do. But I don't see a lot of clients being able to do this because of the affordability. Hmm. Um, and how do I coin it? I honestly don't know. So is there, I, is there I, any way to kind of start with a low price until it gets established and then hike the price? Or is it just not um, cost efficient to do that? It's not just the problem. It's not my rate that's a problem. It's the rental rate. It's the equipment that we need to make it happen. Mm. Um, I've done it in my small shoots, for example. Um, like I did one shoot with um, Hiro uh, Kanagawa. Mm -hmm. You probably know him. He's, he's a local actor here. Where I did that lighting technique, and it's it's a lot scaled down to compared to what I would like it to be. Um, and it worked out. Um, he loves the shot, um, and then I animated a few shots just to show people what can be done with it. And it's probably something that I should do more these days. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and this is some. This is a technique that I learned because I was bored doing again during the pandemic, and I wanted to create something new. And I knew it was possible. This it's just one of the challenges I have. For example, um, when I do portrait studios for for film festival, I always have to follow what the art director wants. Mm, okay. But sometimes I don't, or even whatever shoots it is. Like for example, a client would come and. Again, I was trying to push more for my style, um, but the style of the client wants something that I want, but we have very limited time. So, uh, so in my head, it's like, how can I create a lighting system where I can get what they want, but I can also get what I want without, without consuming more time? Um, and that's kind of how I developed this, um, this new technique. Uh, yeah, so maybe I should do it more. Oh, yeah. I think I should do it more. Yeah. Um, I just had a, a thought. Yeah, thanks for reminding me. I feel, yeah, go back to your marketing side. Figure that shit out. <laughs> but um, right. I, I don't. I can't remember what the name of of him is. But he does like this thing on the red carpets, where it's kind of like that. Oh yeah, cool. Super slow mo, um, photography thing. So he has this entire setup where the yeah. camera's on an arm and it just swings in. Yeah, with the arm, the robot arm. Yeah. So it's like I think I think that would be this. Um, <laughs> that's that's what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um. Well, with that, like, um, I guess I guess we should wrap it up. I've, I've kept you up for far too long. Yes. I'm so grateful for the time that you gave me. Oh, and, thanks, thanks, thanks for your time as well. Yeah, no, I I feel like there's there's another episode that we can do for sure. Like, there's so much more that you have that you have to share about photography, and I hope to dive into that. I, I like to talk. Time. I know that. But um, last question, um, what is fine art? Oh, bro, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm like, not, yeah. You went to school for it, so you can't say I'm not whatever. No, you went to school for it, <laughs> so it's like. Oh, yeah, I didn't, li I didn't listen either, so. <laughs> um, I don't know how I passed, so. So, like, 
with what you're doing now with photography and then with the caliber that you're you're rising to and the the style that you're doing would you consider your product fine art um where i am at the moment i would say no okay my i did the person although i did this personal work um that i did recently um a few months ago where you see my website um it's, it's in my personal work where it's inspired by greek sculpture mm. that one i could probably put more into fine art if I were to define fine art or art in, uh, I guess art is different than fine art, I guess. I think fine art for me is something that intrigues the audience. It could be something disturbing or something peaceful. Um, I don't, I don't know per se if it, it has to come with a price or it, can it be free? So when you um, say it has to, it has to like, make people feel or like entice or whatever like are movies yeah. then considered fine art and this is just this is my own definition of fine yeah. art so by no means this is correct i i okay i would put i dude i love marvel 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 films mm -hmm. but from what i've seen i would put them more in what i would classify as a commercial art which mm -hmm. is it's just for enjoyment this, after I watch it, there's nothing really, at least for the most part, there's nothing really left for me to contemplate aside from how good it felt or what's going to happen next. Um, but if I look at a movie, for example, like people might not see, might not see the same thing. Um, the Sunset, uh, the After Trilogy. Oh, I love that. Uh, yeah, sunset me too. After I, Sunset, yeah. Yeah. I think that for me, I would consider it as fine art, especially the last, um, what's the last one um, after midnight or before, anyway, yeah. before midnight, some, the, 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 the last part, especially the scene where they were in the dining table yeah, uh, and they were just chatting and it was very organic and back and forth. Yeah. For me, for, at least for me, that scene itself is fine art. I remember because for me, mm. it triggers my emotion back when I was growing up where we were in the dining table and nothing else mattered but the conversation or the time you're spending with family and how organic the conversation is that everyone was throwing their opinion at the table. You might disagree with it, but you're not fighting. Um, and then after that, it's like everything's great. So that maybe for me is how I would classify as more of a fine art film maybe. Um, because for or in my, in some, my yeah. opinion with, with when it comes to film, where I would classify that series as like an indie trilogy. And then yeah, I yeah. wouldn't consider indie as fine. Fine art. Yeah, you would, you would probably put more of like an A24 film as fine art. Hmm. hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, not, not, at least for me. It has, for me, a fine art is something that that's that steers an emotion uh, although most film does uh, i don't know how to explain this i'm definitely <laughs> burning my own self <laughs> in here no, it's, um, it's, it's fascinating where it's like n nobody really has that definition of what fine art yeah. is and all i associate with fine art is an exorbitant dollar value where yeah. it can only be fine art it, if it's being auctioned at you know, in the hundred thousands or something. Yeah. But we would look at, for example, Ban uh, Banksy, and I'm going to get roasted for not knowing the artist's name here. 
but a guy who likes to make graffiti, for example. Yeah. That it's not a, it's not Mona Lisa, for example, but someone might saw it as a fine art piece because it's him who did it. So is it actually? So my question is: Does it actually tie into price? I and mean, yes, it's this work is expensive. Uh, I personally am not. A, I like his work, but I would never. Even if I have money, I would not buy it because it's not my style. Sure. But what I like, for example, is Girl with a Pearl Earring. Um, Love that one. Mo- the Mona Lisa, for example. And one thing I really like about Mona Lisa, and I think this comes with a lot of my inspiration in how I shoot, is because of the subtlety of Mona Lisa. Like, there's a big controversy about it before. Like, is she smiling? Is she not smiling? And it's something that I really like in a portrait. Like, it could, it's an essence of Mona Lisa, but can be interpreted in multiple ways and it keeps you lingering in your head. Um, like for me, the girl with the pearl earring, for example, I have a lot of questions like, and I know this answers if I Google internet, like how old, how old is the girl? What was she doing? What was her profession because at the time? Cause she looks like to me, she kind of looks like um, a servant at the time, but why was she painted if she was a servant and why does she own an earring? Mm-hmm. Um, and pearl yeah, anyway, just yeah. So those are kind of like the questions that um that I have in mind in, in what I would classify as the fine art. Like NFT, for example, is there. I still don't understand NFT, so I can't say if I can classify it as a fine art. It depends on what is selling, I guess. Um but Paul the, fa- the millions, holy shit. Yeah, but but the frames for pulp fiction, for example. Mm. For me, that I think I would consider it as fine art because it was culturally attached to our generation. That it steers an emotion when you see it. Um, but yeah. Anyway. Interesting. Oh yeah, it's it's um it's definitely a a longing question of mine because there's so many, I guess, definitions of first of all what art is, let alone the subjectiveness of who gets to define it as fine and i find that really fascinating because art in itself there art is art and it's it's yeah it puts it into i want to i guess a colonial standard when you define it as fine where it's like who are you to define it who who gave you the authority to define this as fine so i i'm very fascinated at that just that whole culture of people within the fine art realm but yeah realm. Well, that's it yeah yeah Fair. thanks for sharing that yeah well thanks for your time man yeah thanks likewise. for all the good questions that I, that I haven't thought about for a while <laughs> um and hopefully we can have you back and ask some more questions but uh also wanted to just put this on the record um we definitely need to hit up that filipino restaurant when i get back Oh, bro, I just moved to Commercial Drive, and there's a better Filipino restaurant there. Which one? Uh, it's called uh, Culinaria. Oh, I, I took my friends there um, on my birthday one yeah. year, and then I introduced them to the culture of Kamayan, and they were like, this is so cool. And oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so. dude, yeah. Hit me, up when, hit me up when you're back. We should do it. Nice. And Jollibee's in downtown now, so... Oh, how is it? How's it doing? Is there? Is there uh, I, so, oh man, I would. I never thought I'd be the person to go in line. Um, there's a long line. It's like almost like a whole block lining up. It's still, 
<laughs> and it's funny because I was going home and I just, I said, oh, I'm going to pop by Jollibee. There's probably no line anymore. I got there and it told me it's like half an hour and uh, half an hour, an hour and a half. I was like, ah, oh, it's fine. It's probably just half an hour. But I stood there for an hour and a half and I waited. That's so <laughs> fun. Man, like, I'm, I'm so proud of that entire chain and that entire franchise because it's like, oh. and there was an article that yeah. came out too where they, they opened a, a store in Barcelona. And it's like, yeah. And then after that, there was a Filipina artist within the fine art world where she had an exhibition about Filipino culture in Spain. And it's like, this is this is how Philippines takes power back, one, yeah, one act at a time. <laughs> yeah, one um, stick of joy at a time. You know what I mean? But uh, <laughs> again. Thank you so much for coming out. Um, and yeah, yeah I, I definitely hope to, to reconnect when I get back up there. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, well, thanks, man. Stay safe and yeah. keep us posted where you are. No, for sure. Um, but yeah, other than that, right. Two Degrees See Podcast brought to you by the Play On Foundation. We got Noah and such a fucking brilliant mind when it comes to the world of photography. So follow him, links in the description. And if you need your wedding... <laughs> photograph he's your guy because <laughs> he he's definitely got it's, it's, he's got the equipment for it. that's right but uh, <laughs> other than that everybody stay safe and thank you all for tuning in artwork by monique lizardo music by kate cole if you enjoy the podcast, please like, subscribe, share, tag us, whatever all the fun things people do when they like something. But most importantly, check out www.letsplayon.org for the Play On Foundation and lend your voice in bringing awareness to the neurological research for brain aneurysm detection and prevention. My name's Chavi. See you next time on the Two Degrees Podcast. <laughs>